BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The reaction to this story online was kind of mixed. 95% of the people were grossed out, saying, ew, yuck, you know, vomiting emojis. And then 5% were saying, well, duh. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. We are investigative reporters breaking down the big stories, what it took to get them, taking you behind the scenes. It's the stuff we couldn't tell you on TV. On this episode, frightening find inside the consumer investigation that uncovered the really gross stuff lurking in Halloween masks. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Polson here with Jenna Sachs. Hello. And Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi there. So it's already that time of year that Halloween masks are in the stores and the costumes and everything. I guess by the time this podcast is released, they'll have been there for weeks. But yeah, so they're all out there. They and are. And especially are those of us with small children. That's uh, kind of the exciting time. You have a a newborn. Do you get a Halloween costume for a newborn? So this is an argument in our house right now. (laughs) Jeez, how much time do we have? Does Steve listen to the podcast? um, This will be the test if he listens to it. So we'll find out. So he insists that our, she's four months old now, does not need a Halloween costume. He thinks it's weird because he thinks it's us essentially using our child to get candy because she's not going to eat the candy, so we take her trick-or-treating. It's, it's you using her for an Instagram photo. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. But he's not on social media, so mm-hmm. he also doesn't understand that. It's a that. way to meet your neighbors, break Absolutely. the ice. Yes, yes. And All, in Wisconsin, they often have like little you know, shots and hot toddies and things yes, available for the adults. Which so. I feel like I've But you've got to have a baby with you. You can't go without that. Right. So. It's weird if you go without the baby. People, I want to see the baby all dressed up in a cute Halloween costume. I want to see a picture of your so baby. So I'm trying to figure out do I do something with her in the carrier? But that involves being craftsy, which I am not. But I'm scared to purchase a costume now after Jenna's story <laughs> that well, we are going to talk about. about. masks in particular, okay. not those cute little outfits you'll buy for your for So your if I go without the mask, I might be fine. <laughs> so speaking of masks, buying the actual mask for Halloween this year may not be half as scary as the bacteria lurking inside. So last year, Jenna did a skin-crawling investigation. Really, when you get these numbers and this information, it is, into Halloween masks, which yielded some pretty disturbing results. She found everything from fecal matter, yes, fecal matter, to bacteria that causes urinary tract infections. This is gross. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, We visited five Milwaukee area stores, and we swabbed the insides of their Halloween masks at random. Some were piled in bins, some were hanging in those displays on the wall, and we took those swabs to accelerated analytical labs for testing, and we expected to get some interesting results. We've done stories about germs before. We almost always get something interesting, but we didn't expect them on nearly every single mask 
which was the case here. So what kind of bacteria did you find? Well, not surprisingly, there were high levels of skin bacteria, um, which can be the source of flu and cold viruses. But we also found mold on 15 of the 16 masks we tested. Mold is the one I just didn't expect, and then it's on almost all of them. So when you get these results back, first of all, you have to think, wow, okay, we've got a story here. But two, what did you do after you got those findings? Well, I'm not someone who is an expert in in all these different bacteria and what they are and whether they're harmful. Um, So to better understand the results we had, we brought them to Associate Professor of Biological Sciences, Krosti Haristova at Marquette University. And she told me she was most concerned about the presence of some opportunistic pathogens, which could harm a person with an already weakened immune system. Those are bacteria that we really don't want to see, and especially not to be in contact with uh, small kids, for example. So among our findings, we had bacteria that can cause cavities, foodborne illnesses, bacteria that can cause eye infections, vomiting and diarrhea, and central nervous system infections. The mold we mentioned before, that can be a problem for someone who has allergies or asthma. So, like we said, the skin bacteria makes sense, probably from people trying on the masks. But since the mold was surprising for most of us back there in the unit, how does that get there? Well, we can really speculate here. Hari Stova speculates that the mold comes from storage and that high humidity environment. She says that could cause what we saw here. And it would seem that the masks that don't sell year after year are going back into storage, which just facilitates the growth over the next year until it's time to pull them out for Halloween again. So you you took these swabs, is that what you did in these three? You took the swabs and then you took them to the lab for this kind of testing. So when you're swabbing them, obviously you're, you're, you're making contact. I assume you put a mask on, it's going to contact your face. So is there a real chance that these kind of different bacterias and things that you're finding were going to cause some of these illnesses that you talked about that are, that are potential? Because sometimes it, it, you know something's there, but well, I was never going to touch that or, or put that on my face. The mask is going right on your face right. or well, your child's face. We're all exposed to bacteria as much as we don't want to think about it on a daily basis. But there are people who are particularly susceptible to these kind of things um, who could put on a mask. A child, for example, they, they, are, they have a weakened immune system in many cases, and they might put a mask on and they might catch a cold or they might catch the flu. It's very similar to other ways you would catch an illness. So that's where the concern comes in. And when there's an easy solution to this, which is just wiping them down with a disinfectant wipe, it just makes you realize, let's take the extra step, wipe it down, clean it off. We're not saying don't wear these masks. We're just saying clean it off first. Which you wouldn't always think to do. No, and I think people put on these masks at the store and they run around, kids do it all the time, and then you hang them right back up and you don't think anything about it. So this is just making people think before they grab that mask and try it on. You just don't know what you're breathing in sometimes. So when you're going through the process of testing things, what steps do you have to go through to make sure you preserve the samples to make sure you're not contaminating anything while you're collecting that information? So I reached out to the lab, um, Accelerated Analytical, and they were completely game with doing this. And whenever we do testing with them, they give us a cooler with some things in it that we need to use. They give us a plastic bag. They give us um, vials and swabs, plastic gloves, and things we need to use um, to collect our samples and preserve the integrity of them. So we'll take 
um, our, our sample bags and our vials into the stores, and we'll put on the gloves in the middle of the store aisles. We did this in several cases. We thought we'd get a lot more attention I was thinking, it. do people look at you strangely? Do the store managers come over and say, what are you doing Or here? do they just think you're a germaphobe? Well, we weren't trying. We were trying to be discreet, but we weren't hiding from anybody in any of these cases. I'm looking at Leanne and producer Pete, who did this with me, and we were filming it. We had some undercover cameras, but eventually we just pulled out our cell phones and started shooting because people weren't paying that much attention attention to us. Producer Pete and I had one guy kind of lurking near us, looking at us with some weird facial expressions, kind of asking us a few random questions. But people really didn't seem to notice what we were doing. And I was literally standing in the middle of the store aisles, putting on my plastic gloves and pulling out my, my plastic bag of swabs and swabbing the inside. So, you know, these stores are big. A lot of them are big box stores and they just didn't know what was going on. And at some of those big Halloween stores, there's not a whole lot of employees. So we didn't have anyone approach us and ask us what we were doing. This makes me wonder just, obviously these are Halloween masks. And so we're talking about children putting them on and trying them on in the store and all that. But I've got to think almost anything you try on in a store, you're going to run the risk of this kind of stuff. Because I've often thought about like hats in stores. You want to see how a hat looks? And I, I, but I've always been told, oh, but what if, what if there's lice or something? You don't know. So you're, I'm always leery about trying a hat on. Um, I guess maybe, again, like I say, the difference here is you're putting this on your child. Right. And your eyes, your nose, your mouth, these are all places that we don't want in contact with germs in particular. It's one thing if it's on your the top of your head, if there was a hat or something. Um, but you don't want it going directly into your mouth or your nose because that'll get you sick faster. Is there a... a a different type of mask that show like for I, when you say masks, what I'm picturing when I was a kid, I don't know if they even have these anymore. It was the like the plastic mask with the little like rubber string that would snap and hurt your face. I don't know if that's that kind of thing. Are these like rubber masks that slip over your head? We did all, all of the above. Okay. Some of them were those older masks with the the strap behind the ears. We tried to do a variety of them. So some went all the way over your head. Some were furry. Some were plastic. So we tried to get a range and we tried to get some that would appeal to kids and some that would appeal to adults. But we were just grabbing masks at random and we were wondering, you know, well, this one, this one might be popular. Will there be more germs on this one than something else? And it, it didn't really matter. I think the grossest mask was a Slimer mask, you know, from the Ghostbuster Ooh. movies. That was one. Like the ghost that's the slime? Yeah, it was a big Slimer he head. Me that, okay. Yeah, yeah, so that one had quite a bit on it that was concerning. Were there any stores that had cleaner masks or were these results pretty consistent across the board? They were consistent across the board with one exception. And this surprised us. Uh, We thought maybe the masks at Goodwill would be dirtier because they had been worn already, but actually they were cleaner, which makes me feel like Goodwill is doing something to clean their items before they put them on the shelves. So that surprised us that Goodwill across the board was cleaner than the other stores. So because they're coming from a donation, they're cleaning them before they put them out as opposed to maybe a big box store or some other retailer that's bringing a whole bunch out of storage. Throwing it back in a box. On the shelf. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's the theory. So this is like, it seems to me the moral to this would be, it's like my wife, if we go to a hotel, she just can't settle until she's wiped the hotel room down completely. This is one of those, if you get the mask, wipe it down. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's an easy solution. And I want to thank the lab for doing this story with us because we've done several stories with accelerated analytical labs and they're always really great about helping us. They've tested fidget spinners for lead. They've tested coffee cup lids and handbags for germs. Are they the ones that did the beards? 
We did beard germs yeah. one year as a Movember-themed story, and that you was You interviewed gross. the hockey team, right? Did, yeah, they yeah the admirals. Yeah. yeah, fecal matter in one of those beards, too, actually. Fun fact. Well, there's a lot more beards these days, too, so how many have fecal matter in them? Well, you know, it's in our case, just one for that story. <laughs> my, my takeaway from this is that poop is everywhere. Right. I mean, that might surprise people. It was, I think we only found fecal matter on one of the masks. The mold was probably more concerning. And then, you know, there was a couple other surprising things. But, you know, it's just the reaction to this story online was kind of mixed. 95% of the people were grossed out saying, ew, yuck, you know, vomiting emojis. And then 5% were saying, well, duh. You know, yeah, it, germs, germs are everywhere. Right. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that makes sense if you think about it, but people don't think about it, which is why we just wanted to put it in their head. Hey, wipe it down. Well, I think there's something, too, to be said for the fact that you suspect germs are all around us, but you found this stuff on every mask or nearly every mask. So there's enough knowledge now to go, okay, you get a Halloween mask, wipe the thing down because there's something on there. And there's a talkability factor to this story too, because we can see where our stories are being shared with our sister stations across the country. And a lot of our contact six stories don't air in other markets because they don't really apply because they're very local, you know, local solutions we're getting. And that one went all over the place. It it aired in markets all over the across, all over the country. So people were interested in it and it got a lot of airtime. So I know this takes it a bit off track, but I have to bring this up because I talked about my wife is, she's not a germaphobe, but she's aware of these sorts of she's things. She's aware of and the existence of germs. And, and pays more attention probably than I do. So I don't know if you guys do this or if you're concerned about this. When I make a pizza in the oven, I end up, I pull the pizza out of the oven and I set it on top of the box to cut it. She's like, no, you can't do that. The box has been sitting in a warehouse and it has stuff all over it. And I had this conversation with my husband. Thought, it's just a box. <laughs> But she knows. Do you guys have that concern or do you cut your pizza on the box? No, my husband has mentioned this to me before. Like, I'll take some cheese out of a deli bag and I'll lay it on top of the bag. He says, gross. You don't know what's touched. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. I used to do, um, at one of the stations I worked at, uh, a restaurant report, food safety report. So I went through and took a food safety class. So I'm a little more aware of the stuff related to food. Um, and then I used to work at a hotel, so I'm very aware of the germs that are in a hotel. And I have to say that wiping everything down is not enough to get rid of those germs. So the reality is we're going to be in contact with all that stuff every day. What I liked about your story, Jenna, was you didn't try to hype it up and sensationalize it and say, oh my gosh, can you believe these germs? Throw your masks out. You were just very realistic about it. And hey, here's the solution. Now you know continue on with your Halloween shopping. Well, thanks. I am guilty of using a few Halloween puns in the story. <laughs> You're allowed. How could you not? I mean, really. It was just screaming for it. Um, but <laughs> Did this air on Friday the 13th? No, no oh, I don't think so. Have. But I do want to say, this is kind of on a sad note. Um, I worked on this story with Marquette University, and I worked on it with a communications specialist who was a really, really nice man named Joe DiGiovanni. And he was great to work with. And when I talked to him about this story, he was so excited. He thought it was super interesting. And he arranged the whole thing, um, sent me a note afterward to tell me how much he liked it. And he was battling cancer at the time, and he passed away shortly after we shot this story and I just I liked him so much he was so nice he was so excitable and fun to work with and I love that he sent a note saying that he liked it yeah so and I he just, wanted to share that knowledge with everyone there's yeah. something 
infectious about that. Right. And there's something nice about working with someone who's excited about it too. Um, so I was really sad to hear that happened. And I just wanted to mention him with this story because he arranged the interview and he was just a really great guy. Well, I'm sure he and his family and those probably appreciate the mention here too, because it sounds like you had a great experience in working with him. Yeah. And you know, he, he understood the talkability here because he was a former journalist. He got it. He knew that people would be interested in it. And I think he knew that we'd have some interesting outcomes. Okay, and I we have did. to know before we go, do you already know? Well, you were you said you, you're still trying to figure out if there's still going to be a Still trying to figure out. Well, oh, there's go- go- oh, no, 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 no. no. The- <laughs> there's a discussion with oh, my Steve. husband about, what you know, what he thinks, but there is going to be a Halloween costume. All it's right. just a question Amanda of whether he will come around to law, accepting Steve. it. <laughs> oh, he knows. Yeah. Do you <laughs> have an idea of what it might be? I don't know. I th- Again, I'm not very craftsy, so anything that involves labor on my part probably won't make the cut. So I need to go and see what's out there and what will fit on her and allow me to carry her in her little baby carrier. How about for your kids, my daughter, including the twins? Yeah, I haven't decided yet. My my three-year-old until recently wanted to be a dinosaur for the second year in a row, which I was kind of excited about. Pretty awesome. And then she recently changed her mind and now wants to be a princess. <laughs> she wants to be Rapunzel, which she's watched like a little bit of the Tangled movie, and it terrified her. So I had this idea. <laughs> so she's trying to overcome the fear. I don't she know. Just, she like, wants if she to, can become that. Right. Can she it's be fine. a princess dinosaur? Ooh, maybe. I don't know. You know, I have to figure out a way to... I'll get her the costume. She can be whatever she wants. Do you but feel the, with the, the twins? twins, they could have all been dinosaurs and it would have been cute. Now I have to figure that's out. Are you, with, with the twins, do you feel pressure that it has to be something that's sort of like cute for twins? I kind of feel you, like yeah. I do need to find something that would go together. So if you guys have any ideas for twins. Salt and pepper. I don't know. Peas and carrots. Oh, that's cute. I right, don't know. So, that's what we could, so, all right, everybody, the investigators at foxesnow.com <laughs> send us your Halloween costume ideas for Children. Jenna's twins. And Amanda's kid. And Amanda's kid as well. And, and well, mine are, I mean, I've got an 11-year-old boy and 16-year-old girl who, she, I think he's they still going to trick-or-treat, but he's probably already got his in mind, so we're good there. That's the dinner bell, which means it's time for our dinner party question. This is a weekly segment where we answer questions we most often get asked as journalists at parties or events or while we're out and about. So here's the catch. We have no idea what the question is. And of course, there are several envelopes in front of us. And this time I get to pick one at random. So let's see what we come up with. The last one was good. It was a real talker. Um, Did you guys ever figure out the name of the movie? A oh, the Netflix Sam. movie, Good, Good Sam. Sam. This is the Netflix rom-com. Yes, about the reporter. The reporter who falls in love with a firefighter. Yep. Okay. So Good Sam. Is that still on Netflix? So I'm people sure. can check it out if they want to see it. I wouldn't say I'm like recommending it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. All right. So, and I don't know if we can answer this as like someone who's in the room. So it's got to be somebody outside the room. Who is your favorite journalist and why? I actually talked about this in a recent segment on Carl Deffenbaugh's podcast, definitely Milwaukee. I love John Dickerson on CBS. Um, He used to be on CBS this morning. Now he does 60 Minutes. He was the moderator of Face the Nation. I just think he's an excellent political analyst. I like the way that he can think and explain things with nuance, which doesn't always happen with television. And he's definitely not um, one to hype things up or be 
overly showy, but things are still interesting and exciting. So I'm I'm a big John Dickerson fan. This is on the lighter end, but I, I really enjoy the stories by Steve Hartman. Mm-hmm. He, does a, he does a lot of those stories that just make you smile or make you feel good at the end of them. And I think he does a good job telling them in a way that is sensitive but not cheesy and like I don't want to be wrong and feel stupid. Is he the one who throws the darts at the board or no? That's not Steve he Hartman. He might have at he... one point. Is it, did I say his name right? He's the guy who yeah, does Steve all Steve Hartman. The, yeah. Yeah. Steve Hartman, I know he does the, the great feature stories. Right. They're really human interest. They're mm-hmm. fantastic stories, almost always memorable. Right. I just couldn't remember if he's the one who throws the dart and then goes somewhere, if that's somebody else. I know someone Someone's did that. Someone's going to correct me on that. Someone did that for a while. But, you know, it, it, it's I just like those kinds of stories sometimes after... You know, reporting on the doom and gloom sometimes, it's nice to have a story where you can just sit back and be happy at the end of it. Well, and at the end, every story, investigative, feature, general assignment, whatever it is, they're about people. They're, they're, they are stories for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so people who are really experts at telling stories that you can connect to, that are memorable, that make you feel something – that's really what this business is about. And that's why, I mean, I, it's going to maybe seem like a cop-out to you guys because anyone in TV news would probably Oh, I know what this. you're going to say. But it's, it's Boyd Hooper. And yeah. there's no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not even a competition because, and Boyd uh, used to work at uh, TV6 back when it was TV6 years ago and worked with our current news director, Jim Wilson. Uh, Jim worked as his photographer. Now, for those who don't know, Boyd Hooper is the absolute king of, human interest feature storytelling. And he is in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, has a feature called The Land of 10,000 Stories, and he tells people's stories, and he tells them in ways that win oodles and oodles of local and national awards, but only because they're just so gripping and so good, and they make you feel, they make you laugh, they make you cry. But he, he has a way of very succinctly, with with short bursts of of voice track, um, and amazing visuals, a way of guiding you down a path, surprising you a couple of times along the way, and just making you feel. Well, and what I like about him is uh, sometimes when we talk about feature stories, people get that confused with fluff, and it's not the same. Not well done. Correct. So I like that he, like you said, gets at the heart of the people, and it makes you think about an aspect of life or something that may be going on in your own situation. But he also has covered political stories and other things that we consider hard news, but he does it in a way that sticks with you and that still can be insightful and give you really crucial information but do it in a way that makes you feel something at the same time. Not in terms of a... Um, an opinion, but in terms of, uh, I guess, what brings us all together as human beings. What Boyd's always been so expert at it is, is making you feel something without telling you to feel that way. Yes. So many reporters mm-hmm. who do what they believe are, well, this should be an emotional story, so I have to say, tragic. this is really sad, this is tragic. He doesn't say that. He tells you something and lets the feeling just come out naturally. And he's, he's very good at what, what I really have always admired about Boyd is I mean, he, he's got it made in his career. He doesn't have to teach anybody a thing, but he goes around and does seminars and he's come here to Fox six. In fact, he did just last year. Was mm-hmm. it last year? Yeah. yeah. About a year uh, and, ago. and gave a, a storytelling seminar. He's the magician who shares the secret to his tricks 
and he comes and he teaches others because he just wants to see good storytelling everywhere. And it doesn't just have to be feature storytelling. You can incorporate some of these techniques into a breaking news story if you know sort of what he does and why he does it. And I've often tried to work that into the stories I tell. And I don't think I've ever come close to turning a Boyd Hooper type story, but the aspiration is there and I think it makes me a better writer. So yeah, it's, without question, it's Boyd Hooper. Well, and we should point out a lot of those stories are only as good as the photographer you're paired oh, with Oh, absolutely. Too. So, yeah. so much of the heart that you get in those stories, those little sound bites, those little little bits of natural sound that make a story so impactful are the result of a photographer who was able to get that moment or capture it when it happened. And it does take real confidence in your own work and your own abilities to be able to reveal your tips and tricks and truly want to help other journalists. So any journalist who spends that time mentoring other people, teaching other people, revealing that, you can tell that they truly believe in this as a profession and as a trade and they want to make the industry better. And so I, I think you you need that in order to rise to that level of greatness. Our general manager would probably speak to this and, and uh, say, and nod his head uh, firmly if I, when I bring this up, but for years we'd have these annual surveys, like station surveys. We still have them. You know, what do you want to see done better? What are the challenges you face? All those sorts of things. And, and every year, you know, what's the one thing you'd most like to see uh, change here at Fox Six, and and for 15 years I've answered that question: more training, more on the more professional development. And that's not a criticism; just that that's what I think in this business, especially when you're coming up through it. There's not a lot of that naturally there. You learn by watching others or by just seeking out information on your own. There's not always a lot of mentoring and development in that way. And and I actually our, our current news director Jim Wilson, I think, is he's become known here for developing young photographers and reporters, teaching them, you know, how to do their stories better, how to approach their stories differently, how to write uh, differently. And that, and, and Boyd has made that his, so one of his missions is to teach journalists. I mean, you know, throughout your careers, you know, has there ever been a time where you thought, I don't want to learn from someone who's better than me? Mm-hmm. Right. You well, want to. And if you think you've learned all there is to know, it's time to switch jobs, switch professions. So it's it's not just the new or the up and comers. You know, you everyone needs a refresh, I think, sometimes, and a reset and something to get you even more excited. So I know that when we do watch these journalists that we admire and we can take something from them, it then recharges us and gets us that much more excited for our own story to implement that in the days ahead. Well, if you have a question you want the Open Record team to answer, we want you to let us know. Shoot us an email to theinvestigators at fox6now.com. Thanks for listening to Open Record. We would also like to thank the people behind the scenes making this podcast happen. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, and Leanne Watson. If you enjoy listening, please let us know. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to check out Fox 6's other podcast, Definitely Milwaukee with Carl Deffenbaugh. If you want more Open Record, just head to our website, fox6now.com. <laughs>